Hi, welcome to the new recording of the UK virtual meetup of Colive. Colive is the global non-profit organization, ecosystem and do tank, whose mission is to empower the Colivian phenomenon. We do so by connecting Colivian professionals, educating the global industry and empowering the professional activities of our members. My name is Kate and I am the UK ambassador for Colive. Enjoy the episode. So my goal is to share a little bit of my story, a little bit where we've come from, but in and then hopefully uh, give you some things that might be useful in your own businesses, uh, might create some sparks of thought, might create some new directions uh, and uh, ultimately some connections as well. So uh, so I'm not going to spend too much time talking about property. I am going to talk about this notion that we refer to now as through life social living. Now, before I do get into that, though, I think it behoves me to at least tell you a little bit about my background. I like numbers. So my previous businesses were actually data analytics uh, software businesses and the uh, uh, numbers were at their heart. And, and, and here is a collection of numbers that I think are meaningful in the context to where I've come from. Um, you've heard already seven startups. You've heard already 33 years. Yes, yes, that means I'm very, very old. Uh, but the one number that I'm most proud of, I think, is the one right in the middle which is the 500 employees. So all of the businesses that I've started have been started from a kernel of an idea. There was a problem that needed to be solved. No one else was solving that problem or wasn't solving it as well as I thought that problem could be solved. And I set out to prove to the world that I had a, a better way, faster way, cheaper way, whatever it was. So started from nothing. Every single one of these businesses was started from nothing. So to ultimately have created 500 jobs um, is a, you know, a statistic of which I'm particularly proud. I'm also delighted to be in the company of folk from around the world because I am an inveterate traveler. Um, uh, the businesses that I've started have ended up on three continents. And uh, the, before I sold my last business, um, I was doing about 120,000 miles a year on, on planes, traveling around the world and thoroughly enjoying it. Many people would think of that as absolute, the most painful thing you could be doing. But, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, meeting, greeting, and in fact, establishing businesses in other parts of the world, which is what I've had the pleasure, uh, pleasure of doing. Now, those businesses that I've referred to also managed to get from zero to 50 million in revenues. Um, and the one thing that I'm, I, I've done a lot of, um, because you have to often when you're doing startups, particularly if you want to scale them, is asking people for money. And in my particular instance, um, uh, a reasonable chunk of venture, venture capital was raised at various valuations at various times and invested in these various businesses. Um, I have to say um, the business number seven, which is Higgy House, is actually, uh, is actually funded entirely uh, by me with, uh, with the proceeds from uh, the sale of my very last, uh, last business. So in, in many respects, as a business person, I like to think of myself as a reasonably safe pair of hands. I've certainly got enough gray hair and had and suffered pretty much every problem you're going to suffer when you start and seek to grow, uh, grow a business. And we ended up entering the world of uh, property. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But, but, but whenever we have sought to start a business, it was never going to be just a small lifestyle gig. It was always going to be something that ideally made a difference in the world. 
Now, um, uh, right early on, uh, and, and Kate made mention of a, of a podcast I did, as a chap called Mike Stenhouse of Inside Property Investing, who was kind enough to say this about us. You know, he, he loves what we're doing, and, and he was aware that our goals are fairly lofty. Uh, uh, and he, he is convinced, at the very least, that we're going to make those goals. I, sometimes um, I wake up in the morning, and I'm not so sure. Next day, I'm absolutely certain. But we will see. But we have big plans, and I'm going to share some of those things with you, because I think... Uh, from ambition, from big plans, even if we only get halfway to whatever it is we seek to to achieve, if we set our big goal for ourselves, and at least we've gone an awful lot further than we might otherwise have might otherwise have done. I'll, I'll tease some of that stuff out. So, been there, done it, um, uh, and made every mistake there is to make uh, in the world of, uh, of of business. I have have absolutely categorically had some um, uh, appalling failures, but of course, uh, as we get older. Uh, we all appreciate and realize that it's the failures that actually the things that teach you the most. Now, one of the things that um, uh, is, a, is an important part of, of how Higgy House actually got started is a woman. And I appreciate um, sometimes um, that's good, sometimes that's not good. Uh, but this particular woman is actually my wife of now nearly 35 years, possibly longer. I So long, I even forget. And I sat her down because I was working, I'd finished my, I'd sold the company, I was doing the earn out, I was working for a big company, uh, not, not enjoying working for a large company um, particularly, but I was doing my thing. We collected the last of the, of, the, of the cash we were entitled to collect. And I sat her down and I said, look, what do you want me to do next? And immediately she said, please don't start another business. And the reason she said that was because any of those of you who've done this or doing this uh, will appreciate and understand is, it's a tough gig, not just for those who are starting the business. It's a lonely endeavor often, not just for those starting the business, but actually those who are connected to the entrepreneur or the individual who is driven to build something. Um, and that's true for my wife. That's also true for my four children. I have, I have four. They're 21, 22, 27, and 29. I hope I've got that right. Uh, but equally and really importantly, they are also in a the motivator here because not only did my wife say I didn't want me to start another business and I said I wouldn't she uh, clearly is the mother of my children who all are of an age where they are grappling with and challenged by where they live and how they wish to live their lives and kept telling me there was a problem and I'm going to come back to that in just a short while so I've said don't start another business and I said darling I won't start another business and then I had and then I accidentally because it was an accident I read a book and this book I found extraordinarily intriguing because it talked about a world of which I knew nothing, but it sounded like something that I might be interested in. And it became a focal point, at least for the educating myself. So I bought the book and discovered when I was on the website, I was a bit intrigued by this, that they had a course that I could go on. I thought, well, that's interesting. If I can go on a three-day course and find out all about this world of, of property, then, uh, then that might be a good way for me to establish whether this is something I wanted to do. Now, when I had, uh, when I had uh, asked my wife whether I should start another business, she said to me, uh, whatever we do, don't start another business, whatever we do, let's do something together. So I thought she meant that when she was on a retreat in Spain for four weeks, which is what she was, that she wanted me to bring her back early to come and join me in Birmingham on this course on her birthday. So that date is a very uh, important date because it is her birthday, but it's also the starting point for what has become 
uh, 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 house, even though it was largely unintentional. At that point, through halfway through this course, I said, this is something I want to do. I can see, feel, touch that there's an opportunity here for me to make a mark, for me to make a difference. And I joined the mastermind program to get myself educated. So some of what I'm talking about today, even though I'm not talking about property specifically, is rooted in having spent 12 months getting myself educated to technically understand uh, property, the nature of property, the legal environment, the people, the teams, what I would need to do in order to be successful executing a property business at scale. Now, in our first uh, 12 months on that mastermind program, I managed to acquire or control or manage 4.1 million pounds worth of property. In fact, 11 months, we, we, we did that from scratch because I said, I'm not a not a previously this, I wasn't an investor. Uh, I was just a, a business person who turned his attention to uh, the world of property and then um, and then, and emerged from that program as a, of what they call the top one of the top performers um, and then and, and off we went now the vision for Higgy House was born pretty early on and one of the consequences of that is we started to talk about what we were wanting to accomplish one of the one of the advantages I suppose of that is that we caught the attention of some people who thought what we were doing was quite interesting and a couple of awards came away that have already been mentioned by Kate. So although I have said I'm 30, not a 30 year died in the war, I'm you know, considerably less than that in terms of property. But what we have sought to do is to focus hard on how we could make a difference and how we could take what I saw an opportunity and turn that into something, uh, something big ultimately. Now, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, uh, so what's your strategy? Now, I appreciate that some of you are, 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 are not necessarily property people per se, and I'm often speaking to, to property people, investors, and, and they will uh, more often than not say, what's your strategy? And what they mean by that is, are you doing service accommodation? Are you doing boutique hotels? Are you doing rent to rent? Are you doing uh, HMOs? Are you, you know, something that I would consider to be a tactic. And that always confused me, confuses me to this day, because... What we are all about, what you are all about, what co-living all about is actually a fundamentally different position or perspective than that, which is this one. We are seeking to solve a problem and in so doing, serving a customer with a product or service that meets their needs in a way that is better uh, than, than competing alternatives. That to me is the most sensible place to start when you're thinking about any strategy, when you're thinking about any, any uh, opportunity, any business, anything that you might seek to do is what is it you are doing for whom and how is it different and how is it better? Which of course is not the way most people in the world of property think. Now, I didn't know that at the time. It just, to me, made sense because this is how I've always behaved. Every business I've ever built has been built fundamentally around the needs of a customer or a segment of market where there was a problem that needed to be solved that wasn't being well solved by competing alternatives. So I just started out doing pretty much the same thing. And you'll see this as we go through. So a lot of what I'm going to be talking about is, is skills or experience that have been transposed from one place to another and applied to the world of, of property because that's pretty much all I know how to do now. Now, one of the things that intrigued me was this notion that my kids were particularly challenged finding good quality accommodation as they perceive good quality to be uh, 
And one of the things, if you're um, if you ever raise venture capital, you'll know this. Um, or if you've dealt with venture capitalists, you'll know this. One of the first things they'll ask you is after you've done your elevator pitch, your, your one two minute pitch, and give them an idea of who you are and what you do and and, and why. What the next question they'll ask is how 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 big is the market you're talking about addressing? Because they only want things they're going to address large markets. That's question one. Question two uh, will be and how addressable is that market? Can you reach it? Because it's no good having a big, theoretically large market and being unable to, to cost-effectively reach it, but you're not going to make a, a, a dent. So what I started to do was ask those questions, and, and, uh, and I thought, okay, well, my kids are telling me that's, that makes no sense to me. There are millions of landlords, so I understood. There are millions of rental properties, so I understood. And yet it doesn't seem to be delivering what these young folk are asking for. And then I did some scratching and looked at the numbers and it turns out, you know, a significant proportion of the population is, of course, UK numbers um, for now, but the same is true largely around the rest of the world. 25% of the population are, are millennials, Gen Zers as well. And of those not at home, 63% are renting and these numbers are headed up. So I thought, hang on a minute, there's a big addressable market. There's a clear problem here. And this piqued my attention. This, this got, my, got my, my, my ears, my appetite wet, my ears open. What is it? that they think they need and, and as a consequence of that it became very clear that there was a significant shortage of affordable and and that and, and, and interesting thing when i use the word affordable i'm not necessarily meaning cheap i'm not even necessarily meaning less expensive it's for the specification of that is required affordable of good quality and quality also is a is a you know is a, is a relative term but the, but the really important part of, of this particular um, statement is meets the needs of young professionals. And what was very clear to me as I started to ask them the questions in the way I would ask questions of someone seeking to solve the problem, like being like a doctor. So what is the problem? What are the symptoms? Where does it hurt? What became clear is there really wasn't much in the market that was going to solve the problems as they perceived. And I thought, okay, I now have to start this business and hence got myself into a lot of trouble with my wife. Now, if, if I'm honest, at the time, I didn't know anything about co-living specifically. I started to find out a little bit more about co-living uh, and the momentum and the movement as, as, as we started our, our journey. But the essence of, of that was manifest in what I found from the people I was speaking to, the young people I was speaking to. So this problem I'm talking about uh, was, was, had four parts to it. As, as I discovered, the youngsters I was talking to wanted to move to the city. Now, we can argue whether or not COVID-19 and what we've recently witnessed is going to make a difference to that, but I suspect not in the long term. Urbanization is a very clear, very obvious um, uh, and, and very uh, uh, now thing that is happening. And it's particularly important to the younger generation. They want to, they want to live where they work. They want to work uh, where the action is. And, and yet... Uh, an awful lot of the properties that they might or the places they might stay that, that, that would otherwise be available to them are too, too, too expensive. So you move on to the second issue is I'd love to live in the center of a city or near where, where the action is. But the challenge I have is it's not as affordable as it could or should be. And affordable meant for, let's call it a premium offering. In other words, it, was, it wasn't this notion of cheap or less expensive. It was, I want something that is uh, Instagram friendly, that meets a higher specification, that is cool, uh, that is design oriented. These are questions that I asked and answers that came forward from, from, from the people I was asking the questions, but they wanted it above all to be affordable. 
And then the third thing, and this is a thing that I suppose might be on top of the list, might be uh, you know slightly further down, depending upon who I was talking to, and and I guess depending on um, your own perspectives today, was this notion of community. But it was never framed as community. How it was framed was, it pretty much I want um, to to arrive in a city and and have and create a social existence. I, I want. I don't want to be socially excluded. Um, I don't want to live in a one-bed flat on the periphery of a city centre in the suburbs to find that I actually get to know no one, that there is no one like me near me. What I really want to do is to, is to, is to live, meet, greet, spend time with people who think like me. Now we've we've co-opted the term community to describe that phenomenon, but it's, as I said, it does effectively starts in this whole notion of of social isolation. And one of the things that you know I'm uh, passionate about is creating ways that bring people back together. You know, we 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 technology would have us believe. Mark Zuckerberg would have us believe that we're more connected than we've ever been in, in history. And at one level, that's true. Reality, however, as human beings, as people, I think that's not true. And a lot of the technology has, in fact, created circumstances um, that are not good for society at large. So this notion of community, I think, is fundamentally important to what co-living is all about. It's also fundamentally important to us because people were telling us, me, it was a problem. And then the final piece that you know, I suppose is is what framed um, how we ended up uh, defining where we were going to go and the product we were going to create was this notion of experience. And I don't mean my experience or exper- I mean experiential might be a better word to describe it. A lot of the youngest is there saying, you know what, I can't afford a house. I can't afford a property. So it's certainly true in the UK. Uh, so do you know what? I'm not going to bother. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take that money that I would otherwise have spent on on saving for or bricks and mortar uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do things with my life. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to have experiences and collect experiences rather than things. And I thought that was most telling and, and actually uh, very, very um, interesting, very helpful. So the drivers for us were those things. The research I did concluded that these were things that were important. And there was one thing though that came out of all of this that I latched upon because I thought, you know, well, that's really, really interesting. This is a notion of tribe. When you, when you talk to uh, millennials, Gen Z today, it's clear they don't want a, something to buy. They're not into things. They want something to buy into. So as we started to think about the Higgy House brand, as we thought to think about the mental shelf we wanted to occupy on in, in our target, target market, target audience is head. It was very clear that we needed to create some magic around the brand that had them believe that this was a consumer-facing lifestyle brand that was actually all about them, was actually all about um, giving them something to belong to. And to me, that was a natural way of thinking because of what I've done before. But what I discovered in the world of property, I might have been talking a completely different language. You know, when I started to talk about, look at this exciting opportunity, look at this thing we could create, look at the world we could build, look at how we could change some of the things that in this world are not right, I got blank stares and and often just questions about metrics and numbers and bricks and mortar. Um, And then I realized actually that that wasn't a challenge, that was an opportunity. And so I started to think a little bit more. So so, so we said, okay, what we're going to focus on is creating amazing shared spaces for young professionals that specifically deliver on the things they tell us they need and want. And it turns out 
when I describe that, that pretty much is the description you would give now to co-living. But what was also obvious to me as we had this opportunity to think was things don't change just because you get a little bit older. This notion of um, social exclusion, this notion of wanting to belong, this notion of wanting to live um, affordably in a place where you, uh, where, where you are perhaps close to your work or, or, or just close to the things that matter to you in your, in your daily life didn't matter that you were young. You, you, the same was true if you were a couple. Say, hang on, if you were a couple. The same would also be true if you progressed a little bit further along. Maybe you had a child now. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking about life stages, and I appreciate this is not this is a conventional view of life stage, but nonetheless it helps with my with my the point I'm trying to make, which is when you become a couple and now you have a child, you don't fund, your needs don't fundamentally change in terms of the space in which you occupy and where you live and how you live your life. Yes, what you need changes in terms of the way the space needs to work for you, clearly, if there's more of you or, or young children. But I thought, hang on a minute, they're all the same. In this country, it's a sad uh, consequence that by the time we get to middle age, something like 50% of all marriages have ended in, in some in divorce or separation. And now, you know, I'm not here to comment on whether that's a good thing, bad thing or not, but the police is a fact. And, and, and so when you start to think about that, you go, actually, my daughter calls these higgy in the middle. But the, 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 there are people then who are forced into a circumstance where they now need to look for somewhere to live. Perhaps they've left the marital home. There are children involved. And that means that at some point they need to accommodate children coming to stay for a weekend, a few days or whatever it is. And yet if you go into the market now and you try and find uh, a, a, a product or a, or a place to stay that allows a group of could be men, could be women, doesn't really matter, of D4Cs um, who would like to hang out together and would occasionally like to have children stay. It's next to impossible. And yet the needs don't fundamentally change. As we get into, you know, into, into the seniors, elderly, call them what you will. Uh, I'm not far off myself. Uh, so, so things don't change. So I said, hang on a minute, this notion of co-living, this whole notion of shared, shared, shared properties does not change just because you are no longer a millennial or Gen Z. And so we've reframed what we're doing and we said our vision, our mission is to conceive of and create amazing living spaces that will make a profound contribution to the world becoming a better, more positive and happier place. Because the place you stay, where you live, profoundly affects your mental state and therefore by definition if we can create a place where people's mental state is good and positive we will make a difference to in people's lives and so that's that's where i suppose we realized that we were no longer talking about bricks mortar properties and and property investment and we were talking about what you know is fundamentally um, life-changing and making and addressing some of society's ills as we saw them and that's what we call through life through life social living now how does it manifest itself so our, our vision of what this will become is what we call the higgy village so let's go five years out um let's imagine that that you know as we go we we we, we progress towards what we call the higgy village because this is ultimately how we see um, us delivering on that vision and that's an urban campus that's comprised of adaptable intelligent buildings so multiple buildings on an urban campus where each building 
is designed very specifically around the needs of a given life stage. So young professionals, couples, um, uh, small families, young families, slightly older families, divorcees, seniors, elders. But what we actually do is connect all of those spaces with just amazing communal facilities that are very specifically designed to foster intergenerational community. So it's all fine and well starting out and talking specifically about um, young people wanting a community. What we would like to be able to foster and create is the power and benefit that exists when you get a whole bunch of people across different ages, different creeds, different colors, different, di diff different genders, and you put them together and you create an environment where, where um, they can effectively help and support one another. Look, sorry, yeah, yeah. there's a question which is relevant to this moment. Uh, sure. so Pat is asking, mental health is a basic problem right now, and I believe yeah. living should focus on this and provide a wellness angle. What are your insights on this, Look, So, so the, the, the space you live in, for one, and the way that space is designed will make a difference. The design um, will make a difference. Uh, the, the reason we use art um, is two, two, two parts. So we have art in our buildings because uh, art um, uh, allows us as human beings to enjoy the environment we're in and does have a positive, calming and influential effect on our, on our mental, mental health. But when we go beyond that, we talk about the service layer we are in the process of creating. Part of what that service layer does is start to focus on doing things, creating events, creating opportunities for people that actually are very specifically driven towards helping them address, uh, helping them feel happier. So, for example, we have um, we have an artist in residence. Now, my artist in residence is my sister. You'll see pictures of us as we progress through. Her primary job at the present moment is to help me select the art we install in our properties, to choose the inspirational quotes we put on the walls, to create these beautiful environments in which to exist. So that's the first thing. Get the environment right and, and you're well on your way. As however you roll forward, you need to think long and hard about the things you then do, the events you create, the opportunities for interaction, not just amongst uh, the, the group of people. So the, the, the group of people will clearly help. Friendship helps. Belonging helps. Uh, uh, being able to talk and, and converse with others who understand you helps. And that's about the people you have in, the, in these environments. But then you go beyond that and you say, okay, so for example, um, uh, creating um, programs where we deliver courses or, uh, or um, what, what would you, how would you describe, educational activity that's art-based, for example. It could be that what we do is we focus on, on a given property, if there's garden there, on a, a creating an environment for people to grow things, you know, connecting themselves to the earth. Uh, you know, rather than thinking about the space outside as just a, you know, a, 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 just a lump of, tarmac a lump of grass or whatever it is uh, so 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 giving people in our first in our first uh, property we we did that we we prepared part of the garden and we gave people seeds and and the the message was simple you know connect yourself to the earth um, take the seeds uh, make this place um, something more tangible and you connect yourself to it by growing something in in, in, in the earth so so it's a, it's a way of thinking and there'll be other ideas and there'll be a whole bunch of other stuff that we, you know we haven't even yet conceived of but at its heart is saying to ourselves that our mission is to make the world a better, more positive and happier place. That way, every time you will, you get it right all the time. No, you won't. Will things you do make a difference? Some of them, no, but some of them will. And if you recognize that and you do more of that, then ultimately what you'll create is something that, that, that achieves that goal. 
and so 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 well-being wellness um you know is baked into what we what we're doing because you can't make a better more positive happier place unless you've got you know wellness i mean it's as simple as that in my view i appreciate that's a long probably a lot longer a longer winded answer than you might have expected um but, but and we can talk more about that as we go is that is that okay kate does that give you a, a sense of how we're thinking yes i, I believe so pat are you happy with the reply it does this reply your question yeah it answers my question uh, look hi uh, this hi, hi, pat. question do you think that uh, the similar mindset uh, people with mental health disorder they should be in a single community or you know in a different community just imagine two two people with the same mental disorder the same problem same depression maybe due to this lockdown maybe to the job loss or maybe maybe yeah. to some family issues so well, i'm i'm, I'm, you know, I'm uh, that's a very good question i'm not a medical practitioner so i, I don't know i'm necessarily um uh, you know qualified to comment about um uh, that in 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 a, in a medical sense my own experience, if I um, if I look back through the years of my wife's, is uh, of her brother, and her brother is uh, profoundly deaf. So I appreciate it's not a mental disorder, but it has the potential because there's the potential for exclusion. And, and her her parents were absolutely uh, resolute that that uh, that that he should be uh, and exist in alongside other kids. In other words, would exist in a normal environment. There are others, of course, who believe that that's not the way to do it because you can't deliver some of the specialist services, the specialist skills that are required. My personal view, and this is a personal view, as I'm not a medical practitioner, is I think we need to be more inclusive. And 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 so, so uh, but, but there are also degrees. I mean, you know, if someone is extraordinarily ill, then clearly, whilst they are extraordinarily ill, they might need to exist in an environment like a hospital where there's safer so i think it depends um, it's, a, it's a it's a big and very difficult question but at its heart if we're talking about let's call it sort of day to day not 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 profoundly clinically depressed for example um then it, i think it, it we're all better um uh, i know i am um uh, if i'm having a down day and i'm not not wishing by the way to, to equate what i've just talked about to be having a down day uh, i always feel better when i mix around people who are um, who are who are able to help me get back up uh, and those are, you know, usually in my world, those are positive people, they're entrepreneurs, they're others just like me. So I think mixing in and around folk like you is probably the way to go. But, you know, big, big and important question, probably taking a slightly off, off course here as well. So maybe we could talk about more about that later, Pat. Is that all right? Cool. Okay, let's move on then. So, so, so now you've got a sense of where we're trying to get to. You know, we've created this vision for ourselves, um, and that's an important part for my mind of setting down a marker. It, we're basically saying, look, this is what we're going to become. We're saying to the world, this is how we're going to how we're going to be. This is how we're going to behave. It drives our culture. It drives the recruitment of people. It drives how we behave. It drives um, everything fundamentally that we do. Now, um, you, but you've got to start somewhere, right? So, um, given the fact that I'm only three years into the world of property. If I go out and said, you know, thank you very much. I'd like 250 million pounds to buy to build a five, five acre uh, urban campus in the center of uh, one of the large cities in this world. I don't think anyone's going to take me terribly credibly or, or, or allow me to do it. So I got to do is I've got to prove first that what we do and what we're doing makes sense that we are capable. We have a safe pair of hands. In other words, I need to step incrementally towards what it is I'm trying to create because the world we're in is one which requires vast resources of, of capital, particularly in order to do and deliver.
So that's what we've been doing. Um, and we started small and we continue to stay to start small. So we're proving our model. Um, uh, and, and our model, I would describe as design-led community-centered art-filled spaces. That's, that's what they are. There's two elements to, 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 to the bit that we might define as co-living in part, it's parts the way the space is organized. So everyone has their own uh, private facilities, including their own bathrooms. That's important. Uh, but the, the communal spaces are larger. Those, la those larger common spaces are specifically designed to foster interaction. And as a consequence, um, it creates some sense of community. But on top of that, we layer, well, we call it Higgy Plus, but basically it's a layer of service that exists to, to ensure that we, uh, that, we, that we do everything in our power to deliver against our vision or mission, even though it might only be a small property we're talking about in the first instance. Um, I'll, come, and I'll come back to that a little bit, uh, a little bit later on. Um, and if you want, by the way, so after, uh, probably not, we'll get diverted now, but after, I've, I've got 3D models of, of pretty much most of these properties. So if you wanted to take a look inside on a virtual tour, uh, then, you, then you'd be more than happy. Well, I can do that. We can show you a little bit later on. I can also show you one, uh, several actually, a couple before, they, before we start. Now, these are all relatively small. And, uh, uh, but where we're headed uh, is... This last one, and I've got, there's a couple more we're working on as well, but this is, I can only fit five on the screen for the moment. The last one I think is, is, a, is, a, is getting somewhere nearer the vision that we originally had. And that's, this is a 21 bed, 21 bath unit uh, with, uh, it's actually a hotel, or it was a hotel, it's a listed building. It's in a city called Swansea, for those of you familiar with South Wales. And um, we took an option on this building and are in the process of securing planning permission to turn this into, into a, a larger. And I appreciate this is not, you know, we're not on the scale of, uh, of the collective or common or some of the bigger, these bigger guys out there. That's, that's not what we're doing just yet. We'll get there eventually. But for now, the next step for us is to up our game and start converting um, uh, commercial buildings, offices, uh, elderly, elderly people's homes, hotels, as in this particular case, with guest houses that are no longer used or are redundant, uh, but 20, 30 and bigger. Our sweet spot, our target sweet spot, which is based fundamentally on, on research and numbers, is 150 keys or 150 rooms in an individual property. To give an idea of where we're headed. So clearly you can see we've got a way to go just yet. Now I can later on if you're interested for those who want to hang around. Look, I can sorry, yeah. I am mm -hmm. going to ask you, uh, is there any particular reason why 150? Because it's a very specific number yes. and I know that there is a theory behind it. Yes, there, there is, a, there is a, a very large body of research which suggests that the maximum number of people you can uh, know or connect with um, in a meaningful way is 150. Um, uh, and there's a lot of research and for any of those who, who are interested, I can ping you some, some, some articles and some other stuff, other stuff later. Uh, and, uh, and actually quite a large number of, of, of large businesses have alighted on that number as to how they, they um, restructure themselves. So they don't end, so they end up with small units of 150. So they're all something contained. So there's a lot of scientific research around that being a perfect number uh, for, uh, achieving an awful lot with relatively few and and it just made sense to us because you know that clearly there are bigger operators who are, who are going way beyond that um, and there are plenty of operators who are who are who are um, operating below that as we are right right now but that was our um, that was our that was our our, our, our our number picked because the research indicates that that's a good number for human beings and too, too much more than that is a bit of a challenge you won't know anyone 
and know everyone. So that's where it comes from. Um, I'll, 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 I'll happily send anyone who's interested some of that some of that research. Okay, shall I push on? Good. Then that's what we'll do. Now this is a gratuitous image of a lovely building, a lovely room. No, it's not. It's actually one of our rooms, and um, this is the very first room in the very first Higgy House, which is here in Bristol, which is where I live. Um, and uh, it it is. Um, designed very clearly but a really important part of our approach to design is that we ultimately need to execute at scale which means that our design needs to be replicable we need to be able to so so for that particular room although clearly it is uh, designed i think you would all agree that it looks perhaps a little bit more like boutique hotel than it does like a, a conventional uh, room in a shared house that's again very deliberate. We wanted to create a, a beautiful, uplifting uh, place, a little edgy, that had its actual original roots in, I want to take Danish, mash it up with a bit of New York loft, so a bit of industrial, and uh, throw in a dash of Tokyo for inspiration around small spaces and what we do with transformable space, transformable furniture. And that became our design brief, which is a challenging brief against which to have to do anything. So we came to the table, we produced this particular room and several others that I'll share as we go through. Now you'll notice one or two things about this, bold use of colour uh, is part of it, sort of it's slightly industrial, a little bit of decay. There, there are elements um, of that that make that, but the point I wanted to make about this particular room is as designed as that room might appear, every single element in that room is captured uh, uh, and is captured in a way that I can repeat that room at as, as often as I wish, because I know every single item, where it comes from, um, how much it costs, what the alternates, what the substitutes are, everything is captured. So that I can now effectively give to the team a specification for a room. We've got several room sets that we use, which are varied depending upon um, the size of the space and the type of property in which we're working. And we've got more that we're working on there. But the way to drive execution of design-led um, stuff that looks like it, you know, it might exist only once it, at scale is to, is to uh, copy the automotive industry and uh, behave, behave like a car manufacturer where everything under the hood, 80% of it is the same, 20% of it is, is different um, with each, uh, with each uh, product, if you want to think of it that way, or each vehicle. So that's one of our rooms that's uh, now exists in several of our properties and um, uh, does rent rather well. But and here's here we get into some of the buts. So, you know what I've been talking about so far is uh, lofty, ephemeral, soft vision. Um, it, it, a bit difficult to get your arms around what I'm talking about. And now we need to get back to what really matters today because although although um, design matters. To my mind, how the place feels to the person occupying it matters more. And that's partly design, but also there is more to it than just the design. And I think a lot of, uh, I see a lot of, uh, we, I mean, we're, we're getting a fair share of people who are copying what we do, which is, I, I guess we should be flattered by that. But, but often they're missing something. It, it, you, you just can't paint the, the, the reveal orange or the wall orange and say that that's design, that's not design. It's how does it feel when the person steps over that threshold and do they want to live there? Do they feel home? And that's a really quite difficult thing to pull off. And it's not just about the colors you use or the furniture you use, there's much more to it than that. Now in our case, our uh, practical vision is underpinned by what we refer to as our philosophy. 
This is room number three in the original Higgy House. You'll see this same bold use of, of color. You'll see some things that are re repeated. You will also um, not see anything from IKEA in any of our rooms. We're trying what we're trying to do and uh, is to create a place or a space that meets the need of the young professional in this particular instance today. Uh, and, and one of the things they told us was their anti big business. And because the way the interior feels to us is, is just as important as the way it looks. And we want all of our Higgy housemates. We don't call them tenants, the Higgy housemates to feel at home. The decision we chose was to was to populate these properties with products from creatives, craftsmen, artisans, makers, who are producing amazing, um, beautiful, interesting, quirky, comfortable furniture fabrics fittings. Because to us, that was at the root of how you make the space feel better, how you make the space feel inviting, how you make the space feel welcoming. What you put in it does make a clearly very big difference. But what we also want to do was to address this notion of they don't want something to buy, they want something to buy into by saying, you know what, we're on your side. We're anti-big business too. We don't buy any of our stuff from Ikea or any of those big uh, um, global billions of dollar businesses. We buy all our stuff from the little guys. And so it's very deliberate. Um, it's hard work because it means that we've got to go and find um, sources. We've got to find uh, and work with and collaborate with uh, small suppliers often um, who might struggle to meet our needs at scale. So there are some challenges there and I'm not saying it's easy, but to us, it's, it's a philosophical underpinning that says this is how we do deliver part of what we do. And the second C, this is called the three C's, by the way, we, I like alliteration and, 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 uh, and, and so it's the three C's and these words are still written by me. Uh, because we want to embody the thinking in, in, in everything that we fundamentally do. The second C, not, these are not necessarily in order of priority, is this notion of community. I've already said, you know, since the dawn of time, humans have lived in tribes, clans and villages. I mean, we are a social species and community is our natural habitat. So a stay at a Higgy house has been very specifically designed to enhance the opportunity for interaction, collaboration and social engagement by those of a like mind. Now, there are some really important words in there. This notion of interaction, collaboration, and social engagement with those who are like mind. That comes in part from the way you design a space, but actually, more importantly, it comes from how you recruit the housemates in the first place. So, we do not use agents to let rooms because agents who let rooms generally do an appalling job of, uh, of delivering community because that's not what they're charged to do they're charged to, to to let some rooms and yet we all know we choose our friends don't we um and, and we choose our friends often because they're like us they like us uh th th there's something about them that makes us feel comfortable so in that sense curating the housemates is a critically important part of creating community which is why we do it ourselves so we actually uh we invite clearly invite people to 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 apply for uh, staying in a room or in one of our houses when a room becomes available or a property becomes available. But we, uh, in fact, I still interview every single one of, uh, of our housemates. Now that can't persist forever, but that is um, still deemed in that important that it requires uh, me to test and establish whether or not I really genuinely feel 
that this person would make a contribution to to uh, the, the house. Now, sometimes we get it wrong, of course, and sometimes people you wish to stay move on for life's reasons. But you know, that's an important part of how one defines and defines community, at least in our in our world. But it's our second C, and then the third C, which I admit was I was reaching because I've called it culture. It probably really should be art. You know, it was uh, Pablo Picasso who said that art washes from the soul of the dust of everyday life. And, you know, we personally, I think he was onto something. My sister is a, an artist. She is our artist in residence. She's a very accomplished um, uh, installation artist. That piece of art, that contemporary art over the fireplace is one of her pieces. We have a fair amount of her work in, in um, our properties. But the point wasn't that we would use her work. It was simply that what we wanted to do was find stuff that interested us that we would hope would interest others. Interesting objects, words designed to inspire, all woven into the fabric of every Higgy House we create. Uh, and and you know, very deliberately, in other words. And I don't mean by you know picking up a catalogue and, and saying, that's a, that's, a, that's, that, that's a nice canvas, let's pop that on the wall. I'm talking genuinely thinking about and applying budget money to the process of picking things that are going to cause people to think. So almost a Higgy house is a bit like uh, an art installation. And that's, that. uh, that, that's, that's deliberate. Okay. Very deliberate um, and tough look, to do. Look, mm -hmm. sorry. I'm going to quickly ask you a question that Heather yeah. put through. Uh, she was asking, how do you manage to work with artisan and artists as well, obviously, and keep to a budget that makes the business work? Tough. It's difficult. Um, it's very difficult, but but we we're finding um, that if we if we find folk who think a little bit like us, so I tell you, places I tell you are really 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 brilliant source Etsy. You go to Etsy, we find we find suppliers uh, often that way, and then we engage with them, and in engaging with them, we are able to to identify ways to help them reduce their costs a little bit but at the same time not not you know take too much out of their pockets that's not the point it's tough but it is possible but but also i would say we also do spend more than most other operators of our type because we believe it to be worth making the investment in the longer run. So there does come a point where you go, you know what, we're paying 140 for that thing, whatever that thing is. You know, I could buy it for 92 if I bought a cheaper version from this supplier. But you know what, it's an important investment to make, so we're going to spend 140. So we do spend more, uh, but, but not as much uh, more as, uh, as, as perhaps um, folk would think. If you, if you work hard and you're creative and you source well, you can find ways to reduce the cost of sourcing. And, and here's a good example, actually. You know, this is one I use often because a lot of people by this time, if they're property people, would be already worrying about the dollars and the cents and thinking about the cost. Because I, I do have, a, I do find that many people in the world of property, they know the cost of everything and the value of nothing. And I, and I that's 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 not a uh, you know, perhaps I would be careful saying that. But in present company, I think I think we probably can. It, the, the, this um, um, quotation I, I have here, actually, because I think it fairly reflects the way we think. You know, our, our 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 reason for existence and to live against our mission is not by not 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 by doing the ordinary, it's by doing the extraordinary. It's by thinking about things that never ask and going, you know, why 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 not? Why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we install that? Why wouldn't we implement that? And and uh, in a, in a world that that you know has hitherto been run by accountants, that's not the way typically things work, and certainly not the way big businesses work. So. But, and the point here about this is this, this quotation, which I think is very powerful, exists in all of our properties. We use George Bernard Shaw uh, quite a lot. I love his work. 
um, you know, a, a, a quotation factory. He's, he's said something about most things um, and, and usually profound and beautifully written. But to put that on the wall costs 28 pounds. What's that? 34, 35 euros. Uh, you know, not a lot of money. The point is, the value is in, is, is in making the choice of the words in the first place. And, and the reality is you can choose something like this and spend 30 pounds, but you can make much more of a profound difference than 30 pounds would imply. But the real value is making the choice in the first place putting the effort in to say you know what this inspires me maybe this might inspire someone else and of course we do have this amazing tool for doing things like that's called google right so there's no excuse um you know so so i think it's a mix of things it's finding ways to be creative and spend less money to do something that has high impact it's also accepting that sometimes you will spend more money uh but then saying you know what we're in this for the long haul we're in this is a long game and uh the numbers have to work but as long as the numbers work overall then you know that that that's fine that's a fair way of reflecting that okay and ironically and perhaps very timely we move on to show me the money because you know you raise a really important point in asking that question which is th this has to work because ultimately this is a business and if we therefore um, want to do the things we want to do with the profit we create and our, and our um, grander vision, by the way, for Delith and I, Delith owns half the business, my wife, we, we, we want to be able to, to make money that we can then give away to those who are less able or less fortunate than our, ourselves. So we're at that stage in our careers where you know, we've done okay. Uh, and my purpose here is not to make excessive profit that we, that we use or apply for our own benefit. It's actually to make profit that we can give away and do good things for other people. So it means we need to be profitable because to do that and do more of that, we need to be profitable. And I think one of the things we often or often can be carried away, with, particularly at the early days with a, with a new venture, new business, it becomes all about the vision. It becomes all about the, the momentum we want to create. It becomes all about establishing the brand. But we must always remember that if the business isn't to remain or be a charity, we have to make profit that's the way that it works in this world now you can choose to be a non-profit as uh, co-live clearly have and that suits their agenda in our particular case that wouldn't suit us because we are seeking to raise capital and leverage other people's capital we have to make sure that that all works and the numbers hang together and so you know what i would say is design matters clearly you you would get the impression i think from what i've already said that design matters it's a really important part of who we are and what we're about how the space feels matters that's fundamentally important to creating um community a sense of of wellness all the things i've referenced to and the questions have been asked but if it doesn't outperform financially we really do have to ask ourselves the question why bother I appreciate that's you know this is where we sort of flip from um, soft ephemeral uh, market driven um, uh, creating product that excites us and excites our consumer to and making sure that actually what it does it performs financially well too and I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive because if you deliver a product or a service that absolutely nails the requirement as far as your customer is concerned. They would be delighted to pay you more money for that product or service and they might pay for a competing alternative. And there is the point at which you have the opportunity to generate uh, uh, outperform um, equivalents. 
and you know, Apple would be a classic, you're right, Apple does that. I'm not saying we want to become Apple, but what I'm saying is we really do need to make sure that, 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 that we hit the numbers too. I should probably add that my very first degree was finance. So although I'm a, I consider myself to be you know, a creator in the sense I build businesses, um, I leave the actual uh, creative work to my sister and to other members of the team, Jade, who's our, who's our interior designer. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm also hot on my numbers too, and I think it's an important part of co-living and should be. Now, um, for those of you who are, who are interested, and I'll skip through this you know, quite quite quickly. As we have progressed, what we've done is to identify the way we think we need to build a co-living business at scale is to systematize, organize, and make um, uh, our business so that it's repeatable, so that as we enter a new segment of the market, many of the elements are the same. Um, we can adapt them slightly and we can execute quickly and efficiently at scale. And so we call um, our system the 5S. And in fact, I got an email today to tell me, so there's little r, I put the little r on there, to say that the 5S um, um, has in fact, as has Higgy House, on our trademark registered. And the 5S was something that I sat down when I said, okay, let me understand this world of property. I don't know much about it. What do I need to be good at in order to excel and deliver against whatever objectives I set for myself? And, and it just so happened. In the end, they all started with F. I need to be able to find amazing buildings or plots of land that, that I can build on or transform and turn into the buildings that are going to deliver against our vision. So finding um, the, the, the opportunities is critically important. So I've found something, I need to be able to fund it. Now, my, my resources uh, clearly only go so far. Uh, and uh, it's a really important part of leveraging other other people's capital. We need to find ways to fund these projects. I mean, we're now... Yeah, our, our projects might have started off as a few hundred thousand. Now we're, we're wandering well into the territories of millions. And before too long, if I build a Higgy village, we are talking tens, if not hundreds of millions. So I'm going to need to find some money from somewhere because I don't have that much money stuffed down the back of my sofa at home. Once you've found it, you fund it, you've acquired the property, you then need to fix it up. More often than not, we're buying properties that are absolutely on their last legs. They are, uh, in fact, we like them when they are, almost um uh you couldn't live in them I mean, in fact more, more often than that you couldn't you couldn't live in them they just are are at the end of their notional life because we like to bring those buildings back to life but stripping them out not worrying about whether we need to keep anything at all because there isn't worth anything keeping inside is helpful so when we call fix that's our fixing up and ian who's next to my sister between she and i um he manages all of that for the business then we have what we call fit, which is the fitting out, which is the, the design piece, the bit that is most obvious, you know, where we source all of our, our, our beds. You know, we even have conversations about things like sleep experiences, about shower experiences. because And, and I, if, I, if I'm honest, I did not think three years ago, having just spent a better part of 30-something years in the world of hard-charging world of high technology, that I would be uh, sitting down having conversations and in all seriousness talking about a sleep experience and the choice of mattress and how important that is to how someone feels when they get up in the morning. But that is part of our fit um, uh, element, the fitting out, the design, and then making sure that we can um, execute that efficiently once the fixing up is done. And then finally, we have to fill. And I come, I've touched upon this already. You know, the notion of filling is really all about, that means where the rubber hits the road. It's you're introducing your product to your customer, uh, your prospective customer 
customer and um and uh, and, and it's a it's a part of the we take everything seriously but this we take particularly seriously because it is the thing that that ultimately allows you to do the to the, the create community and then deliver some of the superior financial performance that i referred to because our system is designed to not only deliver what we deliver as a vision and execute at scale it is also designed to deliver superior financial performance and yeah i think to a lesser or greater degree we we we've have effectively been delivering that so if i told you that rents in our properties are 50% higher than market average that we have 0% voids since the company has started and in other words not a single day not a single day where a room is not rented and producing income and that when we view when someone comes to view or as is the case uh, relatively recently didn't view they use the technology to 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 do virtual viewings when they come to view 80% of the people who step across the threshold virtual otherwise will rent a room in other words our rates of conversion are, are off the charts compared to most uh, conventional products or, or products of, of, of the type with against which we might 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 compete I could go on with the metrics but I think you get the point so our system is designed to deliver our vision this is where these two the hard and the soft collide isn't it you know it's where we've got you've got a vision we want to build uh, uh, we want to make the world a better, happier, more positive place. We want to do things that have never been done before, which by their nature are, are challenging, difficult, and risky. We want to build um, uh, urban villages that in, in essence becomes, they are social experiments, but we also want to make sure we do that. We do that efficiently and we do that so that we actually produce net cash. So because the net cash is what allows us to invest in the next thing or the next idea. Or, or whatever it happens to be and that's where the system side of things comes in so you know as, as we sort of roll i appreciate i've taken a little bit longer than i'd anticipated this is the first time i delivered any of this material actually so you're you're you're, you're my guinea pigs tonight co-living is fast becoming a movement i mean i think um kate's doing and co-live co-live are doing is testament to that uh, what you i suspect i mean having had the conversation about you know some of you uh, the makeup of the group for you yeah you, you, this is this is becoming a movement but as someone who um, has entered this world relatively recently and has come from a background of building technology business um, international technology businesses the one thing i would caution us all is to remember that for us to maintain the momentum that we're creating we really must always ensure we are viewing what we're creating as operating businesses where our success is ultimately defined by how that business performs. And that's not just money, by the way, that's, that's also how it works for the consumer, how it works for the customer. Because if we do that, then what starts off as a, you know, a series of ideas uh, gathers momentum because um, you know, people get behind it, it gets shaped, there's excitement, eventually it becomes an industry. And to become an industry, which is what I think we would all like it to become, because that's that's the way to continue for it to continue on to grow, to develop and attract the talent, money and, and the resources we require in. We need to make sure it performs. And that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is pretty much the essence of what Higgy is all about. Now, I, I will put this up because I do get asked, uh, how might we become part or involved in the Team Higgy movement? And there are three ways. 
Um, and if you want to share this with others or talk about it afterwards, you're more than welcome. Um, I do help uh, folk build co-living businesses by mentoring, but but the mentoring we're doing is group one-to-many, masterclass oriented. So if you're interested in becoming uh, involved in what we're doing and would, would potentially like to build your own business, and but not quite sure how or where to start, you know, Give me a, send me an email, and, and we can talk about how we might help you, how how, how we how might help you get going. Um, we are also because we keep getting asked now. Lots and lots of people have said to us, "Can I make my properties into higgy houses?" And we've gone, "Well, if you do the right things in the right order with our help, maybe you could." And so that's something we're concentrating our efforts on. Um, but then we also have a lot of people who've come to us and said, "Could I build my own portfolio of higgy houses with your help?" And so we're in the process of transforming the Higgy House business into, into a franchise operation. And the reason we're doing that, by the way, is because ultimately it allows us to go faster than we would be able to go if we just tried to do it on our own. So, you know, if, um, if the vision um, is something that the world wants, right, we, 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 we want the opportunity to deliver it and we want to do that at scale and do that internationally. And the best and most effective and creative way to do that is to work with others of a like mind who and give them the tools the systems the processes the things that we use and what we've done uh, um, to allow them to go and build um, you know a, a local a local higgy house uh, operational businesses and that's how we'll get to our thousands of rooms by the way i, I never had a, a, a anticipated that we would do that on our own so if you're interested in coming and joining the the team the family um, helping us uh, make a small contribution to change in this world we'd love to love to hear from you and that, ladies and gentlemen, I think is probably enough for the moment. Um, I've, I've bashed your ears. I've uh, probably confounded one or two. I probably um, had one or two raise their, uh, their eyebrows. But if what I've done is had one or two people go, hmm, maybe as a point, maybe I'll do this tomorrow, then I've achieved my objective. I think there's more than one person that has done that. So if you all can join me, please, in, uh, you know, in giving, look, uh, you can either unmute yourself and let him hear an applause <laughs> or, you know, you? a virtual okay. one, but it was really, really good. Uh, you know, fantastic feedback. Okay. Listen, so I'm, I'm happy to answer questions. Um, you know, um, look, yeah. I would like to actually ask you something. We are, we are obviously going to go into Q&A. I know it's gotten a bit longer, but for everybody who is on the call, if you, if you have to leave, please feel free. But look, says he's going to be happy to stay as much as he, we want to. So I'm just going to take as much advantage as possible. So I wanted to ask you something. Uh, so there's fantastic feedbacks in the chat, look. So you were very inspirational. Don't worry about that. So you were mentioning before about doing a 3D tour of one of your properties. Um, yeah, sure. And there were a lot of people that when you were mentioning said yes. So would you mind uh, choosing one mm -hmm. and maybe give us a few minutes on that so that it's very visual and people can see and then we can really jump into the uh, Q&A. Yeah, let's do that. I'll tell you what we'll do is we're, now the, bear in mind, um, we haven't quite arrived at what is in my head in terms of what we ultimately want to live for co-living, but we're making steps along the way. But at least this will give you an idea. So I'm going to take this building here, the, the, the 3D tour of Heathfield. But I'm also going to show you is this building, the Windsor Lodge, before it's done. So you can get an idea of what the before and the after looks like. Now, I don't know whether or not that, I'm going to need... That, that means that when you finish your building, you're going to have to come back for another meetup and tell us all about it. Of course, I would be happy to. Now, um, I may need to change and shop uh, and reshare. Can you see this? Can you see the model or not? 
No, I can still okay. see your presentation. You might That's have fine. to. So I'm going to have to stop. Yeah, I'm going to have to stop sharing that and then uh, and then share. Is everybody happy to stay on a few more minutes and have a look at the 3D tour? Yes, yes. I can see a lot of nodding, thumbs up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. One second. Then let me. Uh, yes, Brendan it. says Abba. Brendan says yes. So Brendan says okay. yes. We can go for it. <laughs> All right. Okay, it hasn't quite worked as I'd anticipated. Don't worry. I should be with you in two seconds. Let me get this set up. So we're using, uh, I can talk whilst I'm, uh, I'm typing yeah. at the same time. So we use a technology called Matterport. Fantastic. That was a question that was coming yeah. and I did mention to you before. Please talk about Matterport because I'm a super yeah. fan of them as well. Uh, so we use uh, we use, a, we use a, a technology called Matterport, um, which is effectively is a, is, a, is a camera and a whole bunch of smarts up in the cloud um, that allows us. And now we're doing it ourselves, by the way. So we started out. Um, and we do work with third parties or experts in the field, um, but the the uh, we started out by engaging others, and then we bought some of the equipment because now we are not just using it to to uh, create models of our properties once they're done for marketing purposes. We're now actually creating um, models of our properties as we develop them for tracking the development, tracking the, the process. Uh, uh, and that, that is, excuse me one sec, there we go. Okay, sorry, so that was a slightly long-winded. I had to go and find the model to share it with you. Can you now see? Can you see that? Can you see that? Can you? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, um, so the way Matterport works, I will, we'll do a, little, a tiny little, uh, tiny little tour of it. We go full screen. Um, we've got what they call the doll's house. So um, we take uh, uh, pictures of, of the rooms from a variety of vantage points, and then they're all stitched together in the cloud with the technology. Um, so so uh, it's a camera specialist piece of 3D technology um, image making camera that, that is used to do this now. Uh, do, you own, do you use your own cam their own camera? Because I know they now have an iPhone app as well. Yes, uh, that's right. That's it. correct. Yeah. So, so the, the guys who do this for us when we engage someone to do this profession, they're called orbitants. They've got cameras that cost like four or five thousand pounds yeah so they have um, the proper one okay. they got the proper ones yeah when we do it um so ian does this because he's uh, using it to track his projects um the camera we paid about three or four hundred for um and we can now do a whole building in less than an hour so we can survey a whole building in 3d in less than an hour it's not as polished as uh, as our friends at orbitants you know with all these things like the you have um, all these little images you can go so we can go through I'm now walking around. You've got 3D, 360 degree views of the, of the of the space. But let me come back to my um, okay. Come back to my little model here. What I can now do is I can go. Okay, well let's 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 go in and um, visit the kitchen. So I'm going to go into the room, and by clicking on it, I can go into that room. Okay, so this is a kitchen communal area, fairly typical, in that uh, we always want to create a space for dining. We always love to have an outdoor space, in this case, a deck and a garden. Some of the reasons I mentioned earlier, we give the gardens over to the folk who occupy the house. Uh, 
partly because we'd love them to connect with the earth we'd like them to grow things but we'd also like them to make sure that you know the garden itself is an important part of of living in the living in the space um, you can see some of the design elements that repeat um, throughout use of steel use of brick use of industrial components that's that's a thing colors orange clearly features these are our pop art tiles everyone has their own cupboard by the way so there are some things where you go you don't want to share everything right so, and one thing um, that causes a lot of frustration in uh, in any shared living setting is the fact that someone comes in and whips your eggs or you know um, takes something out of your cupboard because they thought that was okay um, so we give everyone their own um, cupboard space um, in in the space as well uh, some of the papers we use um, here is example of us another George Bernard Shaw quotation fitted into uh, the orange um, reveal on above uh, there uh, if we carry on out into the hallway you'll see um, we use things like uh, these uh, ladders are a thing with lights around them they look beautiful when they're lit up at night um, crates these are old apple crates that are repurposed for shoes and things of that ilk uh, on the wall, we got some. Uh, sorts of, these are cricket bats. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with the game of cricket, or probably only the the Brits and oh, well, of course the Indians would as well. It's your national game, right? It's not. You know, we can't even claim it as our national game. Um, but the point is, we're repurposing in, um, objects. Um, if we go on upstairs, I whiz you on up. Um, the theme in this particular instance was before Google. So we take a theme for a building and uh, Sadie, my sister and I, we conceive of a theme for the artwork. And what we then seek to do is to say, okay, let's, let's tell a story. Let's create something here. So this is before Google. And uh, um, uh, most people, of course, who would live in our properties at the current time don't, don't uh, have no idea what life was like before Google. Well, these um, are, in fact, mounted encyclopedias. So for any of you who are old enough um, to, uh, to remember sets of encyclopedias, which is where all the world's knowledge used to be contained before Google came along in computers, we've deliberately created um, an art installation and hung them on the wall. Now, I'll go back to the point that I made earlier. That creative decision is what makes the value, the cost of buying a set of uh, encyclopedias mounting the wall is relatively modest. Mm. Uh, then we've got, uh, as we get onto to landings, um, every, we always have laundries, separate laundries. In this case, we do things like, for our bit for the environment, um, we have gas central, uh, gas tumble dryers. And the reason we use gas tumble dryers is because gas tumble dryers consume 20% of the energy of an electric tumble dryer. So we're even thinking about how we can conserve uh, resources because we know that's important to the individuals that um, that uh, we uh, so that, that that come stay with us. So this room might look a little familiar: orange reveal, uh, brick wallpaper. Uh, we use lockers. These are industrial lockers made by a firm in Midland in the Midlands, which we've had converted to uh, wardrobes for us. Um, you know, to go to that question earlier about cost, uh, so each of these costs about a hundred pounds. Now, um, so a hundred pounds per per piece. So they they come in bits. So we make um, a multi drawer. Um, it's like a uh, for a, a, to, to simulate a, war, um, a chest of drawers. This is wardrobes on either side. But the reason we have them made as individual units, and we can stack them together, so we can make four, three, two, one, whatever fits in the space. Uh, those are made by a firm in the Midlands. Who, when we called them up and said we'd like to turn your lockers into wardrobes, they went, "What? Why would you want to do that?" But then we work with us. They've converted the insides to give us hanging rails, and they charged us the extra princely sum of six pounds, and we're delighted with that. So you know, yep. it is possible. 
Look, sorry, uh -huh. uh, two things I want to say. First of all, thank you. No, you can carry on after, but okay. just as, as I see stuff in the chat, I'm just gonna be a bit okay. more interactive. So first thing, Jonathan says in a sort of way, thank you, he didn't even know you can get gas tumble dryers. <laughs> and second, David has a question that says, do you always choose building that can look good slash beautiful on the outside and no green concrete or soulless stuff? That's a really good question. So in my teaching, um, when I did my mastermind program, um, we were told you'd go after the deal. It doesn't matter if the building is, you know, some sort of horrific uh, lump of concrete that really should never have been on this earth. If the numbers work, you buy it. And I went, I'm not going to do that. Um, I absolutely categorically refuse to own ugly buildings. Now, um, that means there are some buildings that might work really well financially, but they don't appeal. So, although, so, 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 so we, we very, we do look for buildings and, and, and if we got two to one, you know, two that one we might buy one over the other, we would tend to, uh, towards buying the building that we deem to be more attractive. So a lot of our buildings that we bought thus far are, they're just, they're lovely old buildings that have seen better days. And I'll show you what I mean by that in, in just a second. So yes, we do look for buildings specifically, but you get the idea. Okay. So we could carry on round, you know, each room has its own theme. Each room is, is slightly different. There are, you know, objects are, bits and pieces um, on the walls. We do tend to, uh, one thing I missed, which I was gonna share with you a second ago, we do things like find industrial objects or old things and put them in, mount them in unusual ways. So this is a, clearly it's an old typewriter, um, but the, there is actually uh, poetry um, on that, um, uh, as if it was written on that particular typewriter, clearly it wasn't. We've got more quotation, more George Bernard Shaw. Uh, the people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want and if they can't find them they make them you know to my mind that's a you know, there's a there's a perfect um there's a perfect uh, uh mantra for an entrepreneur okay so you get the idea so that's um that's that's a building that's been done and finished and that's one called uh, that one is called heathfield and now i'll show you um what they look like before we start this is the um hotel and uh, this hotel is a listed building in Swansea. Um, it's, well, it's clearly not been a hotel for quite a while. Um, this is what it looks like from the outside. I'll show you now, it's gonna change the three, so you can see this is what it looks like from the outside. Now you could, the one next to it is really ugly. Uh, you could see that this building has seen better days, but actually when you, when you scratch away and you take away all of the, 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 the blown render and the you know windows that are appalling and then you look at the building from the front in particular it's it's a it's a it's a cracking old building and we're looking forward very much to the opportunity of bringing it back to life but we're going to have our work cut out for us so this is what the inside looks like this is how it was left by the way so there were um uh, a bunch of people who came and did what was effectively an illegal conversion or attempted an illegal conversion and this is how this old building was left and this is very typical of uh, what we uh, acquire. But what it has is it has grand rooms. So we've got a common, in this one, we're having a combination of co-working, dining, library. Um, we've also got um, this, there's an area in here, which will be very dark at the moment. You can't really see it terribly well, but it's um, uh, where we will create a, a sort of communal sitting gathering. And we're gonna have um, uh, um, 
a cinema area if you want to think of it in those terms um there's uh, there's uh, all sorts of interesting funky things we can do with this but you can get a already get a feel for this property is not mm. in the best of shape now if i take you upstairs you can start to see what i'm talking about even more oh there's the camera by the way so that's the camera in the mirror if you want to see it that's the expensive one uh, uh, and then we go on round you go up on landing but as you can start to see can you see now you know to me when i look at a building like this and i start to see landings open up i see a, a original spindles i see original handrails i see original architrave i see original doors which unfortunately we're not allowed to use because they're not suitable for fire purposes but you can get i mean this you can see this uh is this uh open. now this is um this is an idea of what this hotel had as, as, a, as an en suite uh, see that gap? That gap is the gap, the the gap through which you had to go to, in order to get into this. It's as small as it looks. This is a really quite strange building with some um, really quite um, unusual, I shall say, design. Uh, but it's in not great, not great shape. But it's a beautiful old building. You know, some of the some of the rooms are just um, you know, amazing. You know, look at this room on the corner. The light, dual aspect. Uh, high ceilings, cornice work. You can tell I get excited by these old buildings. And then you go and there's an absolutely appalling bathroom. Okay, so that's what we typically would start with. I think oh, I'm probably, you know, can keep going and, and you, 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 I should show you more and more and more and more of the appalling state in which this building is in. But this is what we like to start with because other than the um, things that we deem part of this building's heritage, like architrave, skirting, uh, possibly doors, Everything else can be ripped out. We don't need to keep any plumbing. We don't need to keep any bathrooms. We don't need to keep any wiring. We can effectively recreate this building anew from the inside because there is absolutely nothing worth keeping uh, other than um, the, the the items that we would consider heritage items. Okay, yeah. so this is, yeah. Sorry, a couple of things again. As I said, uh -huh. once I read them, I'll, uh, I'll kind of like stop you and tell you. First of all, uh, just a quick thing from David. He's just saying he's on the same mastermind as you. And so he just, you gave him like a light bulb moment. To say, <laughs> uh, okay. And then Heather is asking, how do you find your building? I believe you're based in Bristol. So yep. is Muncie a little bit away? It's about an hour and 40 drive. Um, it's like all things you have to decide where you're going to invest and then you have to uh, you have to create the relationships that are necessary to help the buildings come to you part of uh, and actually you've just identified what is the most difficult part of the entire process there's plenty of money about once you've got um, a proposition that, that's proven and you can talk the right language with investors there's loads of money um, there's loads of people who can help with building we have our own we actually have our own building firm now. Effectively, we do our own developing, but there's plenty of people who can help you. Our subcontractors are all contractors. Um, there's loads of those. You know, technically, on the interior design, there's plenty of people who could help you with interior design. There's, there's actually plenty of people who could help with you with the fight with letting. The one of the the thing that's most critical is finding the buildings because if you can't find the building, you won't get the money. If you won't get the money, you can't employ the builders. You can't employ the builders to do the building because you haven't got a building. You can't design, you know, on, on you go. So you've got to find the properties. It comes down to that is the most important, strategically most important part of the entire executing well. You have to find the deals. You have to find the buildings that stack. So, um, and the way that we do that, we've got a number of te techniques that we use for that. Um, partly system. So we have, for example, a database of every single commercial agent in the cities we're interested in. 
um, Swansea, Cardiff, Bristol at the moment. We have um, uh, every single residential agent that might sell the type of building we're interested in. All captured, all the individuals identified, and then we systematic in our CRM system. And then every week we ping them and say, hey, we're here just to let you know we're looking for more projects send us anything that you might have coming up what happens over time is people start to get to know who you are what you're about that you perform in other words you buy buy the buildings you say you're going to buy and what then actually begins to happen is that stuff comes to you that before it's actually listed before the particulars are there and i had two um absolutely amazing opportunities in cardiff come to me today that are not on the open market and and uh, and, and if we chose to purchase them they wouldn't go on the open market. Well, that takes effort, but it's also how you work at a distance. You have to recruit other people to help you. So the fact that, uh, that I don't live in Swansea and I'm nearly two hours away matters not. I spent enough time there once we decided that that's where we were investing, meeting people. Um, and it takes a while to get your first deal. Once you get your first deal, your first deal's away. Life becomes a little bit uh, easier over time. So that's uh, it's like network, isn't it? It's exactly what you know. CoLev is all about. It's it's foster, create a community, create the connections, and find the people that can help you. Connect yourselves to them, uh, and then and then uh, everyone's working towards that common end. Um, um, does that? Uh, uh, yes. Just a bit of a technical question in here, still from Heather. Do you use a CRM, and if so, which one? Yeah, we use something called PipeDrive. Um, which is a relatively modern one, I think. Uh, we, do, we were using Insightly, but we switched relatively recently to PipeDrive. And we use PipeDrive to manage all of our, um, all of our prospects. Our, uh, the only thing we don't use it to do is manage our trades. We use, um, use another system to manage trades and maintenance. But this is, uh, yeah, PipeDrive is the system. Uh, very visual, very easy, very powerful. And actually, like a lot of applications these days, not a lot of money, um, given what you get functionally. I won't show you that because we'll get into uh, doing lots of demos of our systems. But I know it's okay. Thank you. You'll be a bit careful. Okay, so is, does that give you a feel for um, for uh, buildings we take on and what they look like? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I, I love Matterport. Uh, I just would like to say that I'm not associated with them in <laughs> any sort. of way. Like I'm not saying that because I'm selling anything. It's just I was mentioning to someone else as well. I went to one of their presentation two years ago when I was actually more into like architectures and I was working with my friend who is um, into like woodwork and joinery to like really bespoke. And I just really wanted to find a way of work on that to kind of like track progress on the, so you can also send it to, you know, you can, you, you can track progress with Martin Ports as well, which is what I love. Like your contractors, you know, every week they can do a new video for you it's uploaded you can see exactly you can zoom in like it was just so revolutionary and i was like this company is gonna have to explode because and they were already talking two years ago about how to find new ways for people to be more approachable because their cameras were very expensive and uh, and yeah i know that now they do like an app and an, an apple application and it's just uh, just a fantastic tool and i i, I personally think as a, as a co-living um you know, as a co-living operator uh, as well, I think it's just, even before COVID, you know, now even more, because obviously virtual and everything, but a lot of people that would come over into co-living, especially in big cities, uh, they will move over. So they don't really have time to come over and then check properties and if they like them, move in. And, you know, this is going to be the future of like 
I can check every single thing from wherever I am and then I know I can move into the property. Well, I can confirm, I can confirm that we have, um, so Taxing, one of our, um, one of our housemates, um, come from Hong Kong and he found us and, uh, we were able to show him his room and we were able to have the conversation by video conference and telephone to, to make sure we would fit. Um, but then on, he, he never saw the room until he arrived, uh, in real, real terms. Um, in, um, the, the first building that we brought to market, we had someone who was over three hours away. There was one room left. He was quite keen on the room because um, uh, he'd seen pictures of our, of our, <clears throat> our property, uh, but couldn't get there in time. And he said, oh, have you got a video? And I said, oh, no, I've got, but what I, I do have is this. And I shared him that we came back within one hour, he rented the room and he didn't actually see the room until he moved in. And, and we've just had um, two, two, two um, housemates who've, who've, uh, through lockdown have gone home to mum and dad the youngsters have gone home to mum and dad are fine uh, but we were able to, to re-let their rooms in lockdown we using um, virtual uh, techniques such as this so so it's one of those technologies that looks neat and it's it's very demonstrable but actually I can tell you now it makes money it makes business sense uh, more so now with COVID than ever did before but but we've been using it for a while to let rooms and it really works. Now we're using it, as Kate just said, we're already using it to track uh, progress of buildings. I don't think you want to move into this building, though, would you? Just the laundry, I think, no. the kitchens. Okay, so you get the idea. This is this uh, Ian and his crew. Once we finally get our plans approved, we'll, um, we'll turn this into something amazing. I've got a question. So we, I think we can start with a little bit of questions. I mean, uh, okay, sure. if anyone wants to stay over, I think Luke is quite happy to stay a bit longer. Uh, so... I've got a question for Rosa. Uh, she says, are you planning any specific physical change to your business model spaces with COVID, which feels it might be changing the landscape a bit of multi-generation and slash shared housing? Um, yeah, I mean, clearly what we're doing is, is taking account of what our customer is concerned about. And uh, I have to say the, the younger generation seems to be less concerned about these things than the older generation. But um, nonetheless, we, we have an obligation to make sure that the spaces we create are safe. Um, one thing we did do, which we're now reflecting upon, is um, just before lockdown happened, we thought we don't like the way this is going. You know, we're all, all of us were all concerned, of course. We went, you know, don't like the way this is going. We've got houses where, where people are sharing kitchens, um, but we said, well, at least they're not sharing bathrooms because we always do on suite. So that was, a, that was clearly an immediate plus. But we went, hang on a minute, they've got high-speed internet, they've got 43-inch TVs for all the, all the um, entertainment they want. They've got um, running water, they've got their own bathrooms which they don't have to share. The only thing they can't do is basically cook. So what we did was we bought, um, we went out and it took us, a, it was a real effort, we bought um, microwaves, kettles, buckets, soap, soap dispensers, um, uh, cleaning cloths for every single one of our housemates and ship them into the properties just before lockdown started. Because what we wanted to do was to say to them, look, you know, we are, uh, we understand there might be concerns you have about the risk of sharing the kitchen. We know that you could probably organize your time um, uh, if you wanted to so that you, you, you didn't bump into one another and you're all socially distanced. On the other hand, if you want to, you can actually turn your own room into a little, like a little mini, mini studio. And here's the kit and equipment to do that. And they were all extraordinary because we didn't ask, we, we didn't, we just did it. We just think we don't have time. We've got to do something here. Let's do this. We clearly didn't have, uh, we didn't expect anyone to pay for that. That was our coin. What's come as a result of that, Ago, is, is um, some thinking around how we might in uh, any building have a blend of studios 
so actually self-contained units which have their own um, cook, cooking facilities, rooms, and um, and possibly even smaller uh, cluster flats where that's appropriate. So this particular building you're looking at there, of the 21 rooms, nine of them are actually um, studios with their own self-contained small kitchenettes uh, incorporated in them. We will probably do more of that as time unfolds if it turns out that um, you know COVID persists for you know however long or or just that society is fundamentally altered forever and and thinks in a different way then we need to reflect that so so we are already thinking about how we design space to be uh meeting that that challenge that we've all been lobbed in in the recent months um what makes you choosing a co-living over the short-term model for the property it's asking uh, this is from Lubio, who was in the, or oh, is coming anyway, from the hospitality industry. Sorry, the question, I didn't quite catch the beginning of the question, Kate. What makes you choosing a co-living over a short-term model for your properties? Oh, well, we do both. So um, in Bristol, we have a serviced accommodation business. So um, so we do, we've got two businesses. I haven't talked about the service accommodation, but we, um, we, we, we use models that are driven by capital values in the cities in which we're seeking to invest so bristol it's very very difficult to buy buildings that stack financially that you would use for co-living mm. um you, you we're we're especially where we were starting where we are now where we're talking about buying land or um, converting offices that's that's different you know that it suddenly becomes possible but what we did in bristol we have nine bristol buildings in bristol um all of which were our service accommodation so we choose the strategy model, business model that's right for the market in which we are operating. But that said, every one of our he houses, he has short term, short stay uh, properties in Bristol look exactly the same as our co-living properties. The only difference is you stay in them for a night, two nights, week, weekend. That's it. Um, also, um, what was the decision behind choosing Swansea? Swansea, uh, uh, it was financial. Um, it was, uh, I'll call it yield anomalies. Um, I can buy, well, that building there, that's a 21 bed hotel. And our price, we have that on our option subject to planning. Our price for that building is £330,000. I couldn't buy in Bristol a small two, three bed house on the, on the, in the, on the periphery of the city for less than 300,000 now. So, so, so we started there, but rents are still high. So we're still getting 645 pound for our top room, which for any of those, any of you guys are in the world of either HMOs or curling will know actually for someone like a Swansea, that's an amazing rent. Uh, so, so in other words, what we were able to do was buy, have low capital values, high rental, which basically means our yields are extraordinarily high. So there was a there was a, a, a an obvious anomaly as I saw it when we did the analysis. So that's why we went there. It also happens to be where my wife is originally from. So there was a connection to the city too. Okay. Uh, so there's a so the little bit little bit, but actually it was to do with the numbers. Yeah, uh, follow the numbers, follow politics. Yeah. Um, another question I have from Tabitha, who was asked a few times, is uh, do you screen prospective housemates before allowing them to view the property? 
Yes. And now what we're doing is we're giving them um, the opportunity to screen the property. And the way we do that is we, we don't let them physically see it until we've uh, asked them a bunch of questions. But also um, we will use Matterport as a way to allow them to express their level of interest. So, we, so we're using the technology also as a qualifying tool too. That's fantastic. Um, going back to something else, I had a question from Van. I don't know, Van, if you're still on the call. I can see you. So um, before you were talking about your uh, franchising model, so Van was asking, how much is Higgy House, the look of the property, and how much is the personality operation? Uh, as in, would, would, what, what would it mean keeping the same high level of quality? Uh, well, I think the, the important part is that if, if when, you, when you purchase a franchise, what you're purchasing is a proven model that delivers um, a, a certain result. But in order to um, operate the franchise, you have to do so consistent with the franchisor's models. And the reason you do that is because that's how you get the result you want. And when that's customer satisfaction or, or financial, doesn't really matter. It's all the same. So so you have to be, it has to be good at all of those things. You have to maintain, manage and maintain the the look the feel the thing that is the essence of higgy otherwise it's not a higgy house anymore but you also have to um, uh, manage and support the operation so our view on the operating side is that we so higgy house would continue to provide the operations that manage the buildings for on behalf of the investors so rather than allowing lots and lots and lots of franchisees to uh, to 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 run their own buildings we would offer the service whereby uh, we would run them for them, which means we don't dilute this, the, 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 the level of service that we require. If someone really wants to run their own buildings, then that's fine, but they're going to have to do it exactly and consistently with how it is we, we would expect that building to be run to deliver the result. And what's a, uh, what is a Higgy House way of building community? Because obviously the core in co-living stands also for community cooperation, collaboration, uh, which is also what differentiates from like, let's say a standard, and I'm gonna say standard or traditional in, in within bracket, HMO and house share. Well, but it's, it's everything I've been talking about. You know, it starts with the design of the space. So it's, well, it starts with the selection of the building. It starts with the location of the, where, the, where that building is physically located. Um, it then, it moves on to um, how you design or redesign the space and the flow of the way, the way that people flow around the space to create create opportunities for interaction you know sort of accidental bumping into one another is almost think of it like that so there's space design you then move into um uh the the interior design so the the, the look the feel the aesthetics how that makes people um uh, uh feel that's the important part of it then you move into um who who you who you recruit uh, and how you go about recruiting them once they're in, you then are um, concerned about how they behave once they're in the space. Well, that's part rules. That's also part systems. That's also um, part um, um, making sure you've got the right people in there in the first place. Y you then move on to the things you layer on top, what we call Higgy Plus. Um, uh, so we have, um, I think I might have touched upon it, I might have mentioned it. We have a, a, what's called a chef in residence. Actually, just a mate of mine. Who, I, I I love my food, and uh, Bristol is a is a is a particularly foodie place. Loads and loads and loads of innovation on the food front. So I know, I know lots of chefs. So I just asked one of them, one of my friends, you do me a favour. Would you, would you would you just pop in and drop into one of our houses and cook them a meal? 
Um, and, th and that was all about breaking bread, this notion of bringing people together to sit around a table or eating a meal. So, you know, things you do, in other words. In other words, it's everything. You, you can't, you can't pit, pluck one of those or two of those things out and say, ah, well, if I do that one thing that I'm doing co-living, because you're not. It's all of the above, in my, in my opinion, um, that makes a difference. And that, that's what makes the fundamental difference between, say, uh, co-living in, in, our, in our case and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and an HMO. There is an interesting question from Alex. Uh, it says, when initially pro proving the market or the needs, how did you approach the people you spoke to and how did you decide on your target market? I mean, well, I know you said obviously you spoke to your kids and uh, you know, what, what their needs. And I remember from your podcast, you were also saying how sometimes when you were flying to New York, especially in Williamsburg for your, uh, you know, for, for your old business, yeah. You used to yourself stay in some shared places and co-living, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so I mean, and although they weren't called co-living at that time, um, yeah, but that's what they were. The, the, the it's like a lot of things. It's a combination of life experience, um, my uh, needs and desires as a consumer. What would I want? You know, if I was twenty-five again or the early thirties, what would I want? How would I want to live? Uh, uh, what what standards would I like like to see? Um, so it's a combination of uh, failure on the part of, of people with whom you interact to deliver the service you want. That sucks. I could do that better. That's one. Well, the same is true of all the people that one speaks to of the right age. Um, yeah, whether it was kids, that was, it wasn't just my children. It was my children, my children, the friends, friends of my kids and, you know, and other people. I would, even, I would even, if I spotted someone in my local coffee shop, for example, that I thought was probably in my target demographic, I'd, I'd engineer a conversation with them. So the idea was um, to, to get a real feel and understanding of my target market first. But the target market is different from your physical location where you land your buildings. If you, if your target market is a, is a, um, you know, an avatar for you is a young, uh, professional employed earning a certain amount of income with a certain amount of needs, a certain friendship type or group is aspirational as affluent is entrepreneurial, whatever, you know, whatever attributes you describe your target market, they exist in every city. They exist in Swansea. Yeah, the reality is in Swansea, there was very, very little until we came along that they could uh, uh, purchase by way of um, co accommodational space that met their need. And so uh, we filled a, 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 a gap in that particular instance. But the target market is, is in every city. The question then is just whether or not your uh, model can work financially in all cities or not, or how do you have to adapt it? So I differentiate those two things. They're not the same. Sorry. Yes, I'm muted, so sorry. Uh, <laughs> So we have a couple of more questions. They are more about, um, that? so what ROI, so return on investment do you achieve and uh, are you able to extract all your funds out on refinance? So I think we are going more into proper investing here. Yeah, yeah. Our model is to is to buy, refurbish, refinance. That's that's the label that we would use. So whoever's asked that question would understand that. Um, we would typically buy buildings um, uh, at what we consider to be below market value if we can. Uh, but actually, ultimately, the deal has to stack. And there are three things you need to be concerned about: how much you pay for the building, how much it costs you to, to transfer, transform it into whatever it is the rents you generate. Because every building we target building now is seven rooms or more, and the reason for that is partly financial because that's the point at which 
the valuations you derive are, are commercial valuations. So rather than someone valuing the bricks and the mortar, they say, actually, I'm going to value this as a business based upon the income that it's generating. And because our buildings generate much, much higher rents, it is in our interest to have commercial valuations because our high rents drive high valuations. So that, that, those, those, are, those are the three critical pieces. And then your loan to value, in other words, how much your senior lender will let you have against the value of the asset you've created will de determine whether you can pull all of your money out or not. What we, we don't have an expectation that all of, all of the money will come out, but what we have created is um, uh, what we call a Higgy bond, which basically means any money that was left in of ours, we sell to another, we, we, we sell to another investor um, as a long-term income generating monthly income stream because our cash flows are very strong so to give up a little bit of that cash flow to uh, give an investor a, a, a five-year monthly interest means we can take all of our money out our own money out and use it on another project and we leave the investor in there um, to substitute for us so that's how we do it so 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 actually um, in the main we don't have any of our own money left in any of our buildings but we do own equity in all of those buildings, of course. So we own the equity. So that's uh, that's our model. Um, We've got a thank you from Sarah, who is the one who asked you the question. Okay, there you go, Sarah. Um, and we do a minimum threshold, um, but we typically like to exceed that by some country mile. He also says it's very clever. One point of clarification, do you usually have the same age group in a house or are most of your homes mixed age? Also, look, can I ask you to stop sharing your screen so we can actually see you when you speak? Oh, you what? Yes, you. All right. Okay, do you mind? Just oh. for the last few minutes. Thank oh, you. That's, nice. that's me. I'm back. There you go. Yeah. So, do you usually have the same age group in a house, or are most of your homes mixed aged? Well, they're mixed age. They're, they're, the age range is a bit is a bit wider than we thought it was originally going to be. We thought it was going to be twenty three, twenty four to early thirties. Um, turns out we have pushed it up to late 30s. Uh, I think we've got, the old, we got we have one person in their 40s. We've recently started it. We had a couple of inquiries of people in their 50s, and we balked at that. We went, you know, that's, not, that's probably not going to work. It'd be an exceptional individual who could fit in. And I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not against um, you know, having um, all sorts of age ranges. Um, however, we, I would prefer to develop buildings specifically designed for, for a generation or an age range if I was going to do that. Uh, we also thought that we wouldn't go for youngsters. And I say youngsters, and apologies for anyone here who's 21 or younger. Um, clearly, I'm not. Uh, Oscar is, look, he's 21. Um, you do, uh, you do 22 yeah. next month. But, but, and, 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 and because I have four children and have uh, been through the whole process, I basically wanted human beings with fully formed brains. And my discovery was that people who were 18, 19, 20, 21 and still at university generally haven't got fully formed brains or habits or, or anything of that ilk. So we deliberately pushed it up and said, no, you've got to be 25 or more. What we then discovered, of course, is that there are exceptions to every single rule. And we would have the odd person say, look, I understand that your age range is 25. I'm 21, but I'm really mature. I'm really sensible. I've been working since I was 12. Yada, yada, yada. Can I, you know, and we would go, okay. And we would have a conversation with them. So we now have a, a slightly, a 21 to 40. Uh, but the core is still in 25 to 33. 
Well, I guess that's also, you know, uh, it's a very strong point. At least I see that in, in what we do at Startup Home as well of the onboarding or screening, however you want to call it. I prefer to call it onboarding. Uh, you know, yeah, it, in the same way, the opposite, right? You could have someone who's 45 and literally it's like, nah, mate, you know, like, yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. you need to go back to 20 and start a little bit. You do so, indeed. Yeah. yeah. But we've, I've tell, we've also done things like, um, and this is where, where you're interviewing them, you're trying to create community. It really helps. Yeah. We have, we do references. Okay. So we do credit checks and references. We, we, of course, so that's a formal thing. It's a third party group that does it for us. And sometimes I'll come back and say, no, they failed and they failed because their income wasn't high enough or something you know, there was some, something like or there was a credit uh, risk or history issue and we've gone yeah but I really like this young person I think they'd fit in the house really really well so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a punt on them even though you've told me that I shouldn't be um, bringing them in but what I would then do is I would look them in the eye and say look I'm taking a punt on you the reference and credit agency says you you I should be refusing you but I'm not going to do that because I believe in you, but you have to promise me that you are not going to let me down. Yeah. And that basically means you've got to pay your rent when you're supposed to pay your rent because I'm taking a punt on you. Yeah. I've done that a couple of times and we, we don't have a rent payment problem in any way. COVID not. We're every, we hundred percent of our rents have been paid ever since we started. So, but that was the, but that was, um, you know, that personal belief thing, which we can do for the moment, but also part of the creating the community picking the right people not just the people who would theoretically pass some notional reference test yeah i agree i mean 100 um, percent on that we we have a lot of uh you know startup and entrepreneurs that come from abroad so like they would never pass the references ever because they have no jobs because they are founders they come from abroad no references nothing whatsoever and like you said you know we just talk to them and we say we trust you and so far, you know, it's the same as, you know, the same thing. We've been, I don't know if super lucky or what we've done is, is good enough. And so, you know, uh, we've done that. No, I think you attract, I think you attract people who are like you. That, that, that does happen. That, that, you know, that does like attracts like for sure. Um, your brand as well makes a difference to who you attract. Um, but ultimately, um, I, I believe fundamentally that people are good and that, um, if I trust you, you'll trust me and vice versa. So, so, you know, so, so there's a certain amount of rest. And I've, I've generally been found through my life that that actually works. Yeah, I just, I think you, um, <clears throat> you mentioned that you, you would combine uh, different, different age groups. Am I right? Um, so I was just, I was just wondering if there was any sort of, you know, what, what were the decisions behind sort of, you know, the age ranges that you would go for? Uh, no. Um, so, so we wouldn't combine them. When I talked about the Higgy Village, I was talking about b uh, separate buildings designed for a oh, life okay. stage, but they're combined at the communal level. So, so, so it's a sort of like a hybrid halfway house effectively in terms of how we're thinking. Um, no, I, th I think when you, and the smaller the building becomes, the more challenging it is to um, have a, a, a set of housemates across too wide of an age range. Um, I would prefer to, to have another 10 bed, 10 bath building, which is designed for what my daughter calls Higgy in the middles, you know, so uh, those of us, and I'm one of them, you know, in the sort of 45, 55, 60 range, that sort of range. Um, I would prefer to have another building because you know you, you, your brain is certainly fully formed by then, but also so are your habits, and sometimes the habits are not 
are not good habits, right? So and you can't change them. So, so there are, there are, it's about human beings, right? We're, we're, we're creating space for people to live and trying to um, positively engineer that in an important way is to make sure that the people get on. And generally speaking, going too far beyond age ranges makes it a bit challenging. Have you run into any um, negative PR around gentrification in the areas that you're investing in and curious about your take uh, on that? Uh, we did initially, um, but then they saw what we did and they went, oh my God, my house has just gone up in value and they suddenly became converts. That happened. Um, but also we are not buying and we're working in areas which are a long, long, typically a long, long way away from being truly gentrified. In other words, we're at the beginning of that. So uh, what we find we had more of a challenge with is neighbors objecting to the extent of building work. That's uh, and then and then before you even get to that, when we are making planning applications, you would have uh, not even necessarily neighbors who would just object on the grounds that their assumption was that if you were having a shared house, it was going to be full of drunk people vomiting on the street, playing loud music outside at 4am and upsetting every single person because clearly that's what happens in these horrible shared den of iniquities, right? Uh, utterly ridiculous, but that's what will happen. Um, and then, then, but we put effort into trying to convince people that we're a good force for good. So we do do... Um, uh, letters to uh, all the neighbours before and during planning. Uh, we invite councillors round to see our buildings once they're done, because a lot of the people who are objecting and causing problems are actually the councillors themselves, you know, because they're, 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 they're getting voted in by people, so they become all shouty about these things, right? We don't want these damn buildings in our places. Look at that. They're like rabbit hutches, brother. You know, you get all this stuff, which is like rubbish. But that's their entrenched position. And if not careful, um, they'll prevent you getting where you want to get. So we invite council councillors, council members. I've met with I've met with the um, the 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 uh, the senior members of the of Swansea Council. Uh, I make sure I know who the planners are. You you got to work hard, in other words, to try and ensure that the resistance you will get and the negative stuff you will get becomes a positive in the end. And I, I think we're sort of there. We're, we're in Swansea anyway. When uh, when we took on um, when we decided we were going to take on that Wind Windsor Lodge, the hotel I just showed you, which is a, it was a mess. Um, the agent told us that they had talked with someone who was in senior in the planning, and they said, "Oh, who, who, what do you? That's for sale. Who's who's? Oh yeah, we think we got someone who's going to buy. It. Who's that? Oh, Higgy House. Oh, fantastic. They'll do something great with it." And that was independent of us. You know, oh, that's cool. Um, if they're if they're starting to think like that, then maybe we've got we're get, we're getting somewhere. And then that, um, but that building, one of the buildings I didn't show you, but the one we're working on right now, absolute wreck. Um, way too big for a family house. We got a petition of nearly forty people objecting on the grounds of all the things I've just said. The planners refused it twice. We then went to appeal. We said, this is crazy. We've got this amazing building that needs to be brought back to life that is absolutely uneconomic to do anything else with it. And you're refusing us planning. So we took it all the way to the um, to uh, appeal. We won on appeal. And even though we won on appeal, the council still appealed the appeal. They, they took it. Uh, they, they sought leave. There's one final thing that they sought leave to. This is a single building for seven people. I mean, how does that make any sense? How does that make any sense at all? But it's what you're up against, you know? Mm. We won. 
um, the, the judge, because the way it works with that is they, they have one shot at it. They, but it, that took us uh, 18 months, 18 months. And that building stood there uh, empty, absolutely unoccupied and unoccupiable for 18 months whilst the council went through this process of seeking to prevent us from turning into the building it's become. Crazy, isn't it? This is what we're all up against, guys, you know, and, and, and unfortunately, um, and this is why what, what Kate and Colib are doing, I think is super helpful if you're influencing the influencers because planning is about 10 or 15 years behind, in the UK this is, 10 or 15 years behind I mean, where, where we're talking about today, you know, we're talking about, this is amazing. They're going, oh my God, that's, that's horrendous. That's hideous. We want one bed flats like this in this location. And that's what we want. Oh, goodness sake, you're miles behind. But that's, that's the world in which we live, you know? Yeah, I mean, I am, um, for anyone who is UK based anyway, the, I think the government is on to that as well. I, 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 I just heard one of their intervention and saying exactly the same, how actually they believe that their planning is about 70 years behind. Like, you it know. is, but I think we, uh, it's like, um, you know, um, who was it who said, uh, make sure you don't waste a good crisis. You know, we, uh, the, 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 the reality is with what's happening, this is again, a UK specific thing because of the nature of, of property and planning here. But um, the whole bill, bill, bill strategy that Boris uh, Johnson has just laid down as a, as a way of effectively recovering from uh, the economic damage that, that, that the coronavirus, that coronavirus has caused actually means um, loosening some of the planning restrictions, making it easier to convert and repurpose offices, retail spaces, uh, put more stories onto existing buildings yeah. so that the councils cannot refuse to do it if it's reasonably well done and it's, 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 it's a good quality building, building going on. That's a breath of fresh air because the minute I saw that, I thought, fantastic, because we happen to be looking for commercial buildings. We, if we can convert these commercial buildings and we don't have to go battling with uh, with local councillors because central government says, boop, you can do it with committed development. Brilliant. So I think you might find some of the things we want to do will become a little bit easier as a consequence yeah. of, of, of what's happened. I mean, I also think that what's happened with COVID, it's, you know, like a lot of people, we're not going to go back to offices. Those are going to stay empty. What are they going to do? It's crazy. You know, if, if, if the offices are going to stay empty there, the economy is going to die because people are not going to come there to spend the money there. But yeah, if you purpose it by being, uh, you know, by bringing people in. We did a workshop here in Startup Home about a year ago about how to repurpose the high street. That was the focus. Uh, we had some designer coming from the university and we got the guys in the house to design what they would transform an empty shop in with the focus of... Uh, uh, imagining a lot of co-working area on the very uh -huh. bottom so smaller places like maybe like eight people living in there and like a co-working for 16 people so having other people coming in and work together during the day and whoever lives in there then they just go upstairs and kind of like creating this sort of community to really repopulate the high streets because they're dying and and I, I think it's brilliant but I also have to say that a lot of the councils, I know you published one of this article about Birmingham the other day, they're really starting to get a grip on co-living and start to want to collaborate. So that's really where we want to push with co-live as well as, you know, to kind of like get everybody more aware of what co-living is. 
um, you know. Well, yeah, I don't know how it's different. I think Van made a good point that he just flashed up a second ago, which was, you know, it's it's behaving. We need to help educate people to have they understand the difference between Coleco and HMO, because often they don't. And in fact, unfortunately, a lot of investors. Have, have climbed on the co-living bandwagon by renaming their HMOs co-living because they think that's that's they'll 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 paint something orange. They'll go, oh, that's Higgy House. So I've just painted something orange. Let's call it co-living because that's the thing. And then when you actually question them what they do, and they go, they have no clue what they, they really have no clue. They go, oh, isn't that the latest name for HMO? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Van was writing something about it, about, um, you know, together with them as well. We are all working towards really changing the percep perception and, and draw a really good line and distinction between just the standard HMO and a co-living, which I think is what we are going through. Anyone else has any other question? We're obviously not going to do breakout room because there's only 20 of us left and this is the breakout room. So, uh, yeah. So that means I've worn everyone else down already. No, I mean, it's amazing. Look, it's <laughs> more than two hours and we're all still here. Lots of us are still here listening and just being active. I mean, ladies, I love that there's so many ladies in Colivin. I love that. I love it. It's all about women. Uh, but, um, I mean, if you have any other question, I mean, Luke is amazing. He's just giving us so much time. So pick, pick his brain. Just one I have, question, please, if I may. Yes, it does. Sarah, it does. Absolutely. You've got orange and, and you, you, you <laughs> they bake cakes. That works for me. So, Luke, not, yeah, not sure if you can hear you me. I can hear you. Cindy. Yes, Cindy. Yes, sorry. Yes, I can. Yeah. Okay, great. Just a question in terms of the average tenancy and the turnover of your tenants on average. Do you have an idea? Uh, what that yeah, well, we're only three years old as a business, remember? So, so actually, our properties have only been operational for 24 months. So, I don't think we've really got anything mm. I can tell you why we have statistics with any sort of longevity. All I can tell you is 0% voids. Um, and I would say, in a typical year, if I would give you a number, bigger buildings are more turnover more than others. Um, and the bigger buildings, I would say, I would expect to have two or three out of 10 um, in a year would move on but but so far every single person who's moved on has moved on because they've got a job somewhere else uh well that's not strictly true that we had two 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 in um through the whole lockdown went home to mm. mum and dad i mean that's, that's right. not quite the same but they went to a different geography so typically it's they've got a new job or they've got a partner and we don't do couples so yeah you know, they want to live together so so that'd be the reason but i would say 20 20 20 30 percent something like that okay in a, in a, yeah that's pretty year good for a big building Cheers. yeah sorry um i just wanted to ask about um the software you use to manage things like maintenance requests um i've heard arthur recommended but i just wondered what what it is that you well, use with, with with Van on the on the call you really need to ask him because um we're, we're actually going to be using um, Van's product but we haven't implemented it yet. My my son, who works in the business, um, is our one of, is our remote community manager. Actually, he he has been evaluating and working on the beta versions of Van's product. Um, however, for the moment, we use Arthur. Okay. Yeah, um, that's that's that, when we evaluated various. Uh, I mean, you 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 pays your money, takes your choice, don't you? But that was we we end up with Arthur. Right now, we use Arthur. Yeah. I wasn't really happy about Arthur, my, my personal, uh, you know, my, my personal choice. I mean, it was all right at the beginning. I didn't mind it, but I find, I, I personally find it very, yeah, no, not really. 
Yeah. I don't, well, I don't use it. Um, it's uh, and the choice was made by um, Ian, who runs all our construction and transformation and maintenance. So, I I'll probably give you an idea where the where the locus of decision making was in terms of selecting Arthur. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the van, van, Vans, can I just make an advert for Van? Because what he's doing is really quite amazing. Yeah. Um, his focus is on the customer, the consumer, and, and, the, and the experience and the connectivity and the communication between the housemates. And I think that's the right place to be focusing. Everything else becomes, oh, can you also just make sure that I can record my maintenance issue? Yeah, so rather than the other way around. Yeah. Um, and I think um, if, you, if you're considering looking at alternatives, Heather, then perhaps... Um, have a look at, yeah. uh, have a chat with Van and, and yeah, see what Van, those guys are Van, why don't you put the detail of Coho in the yeah, chat? Um, so that, uh, yeah, Van, uh, yeah, it's his software, it's Coho. It's very interesting because it's, uh, yeah, don't blush, you don't need to. <laughs> Plus, we don't believe you, we can't see you on the camera, so it's not true you're blushing. Uh, it's, it's, his focus is very much about um, blending together property management. So any issue which is about, you know, rent payment, documents and everything, but also incentivating the community and connecting everybody who is in your houses or, you know, in everything in, in, in within your community uh, to kind of like really connect. It's really good. But also I think it will, it will let you kind of like, describe uh, in a sort of way now he's listening to me so i need to be careful of what i say but it's gonna let you kind of like describe what tenants or customers or members uh you know or mates however you want to call them you have in the house so the people will be able to search by that criteria so if you are someone who's really into you know fitness maybe you want to be in a house where there's people that are more into health and fitness and well-being if you are someone who's more party and you want to be maybe in, in a different type of house or area. So it's just really rechanging completely the thinking model, which I, I believe it will happen as well. In, uh, in the non very far future, we, we more likely, we will look for places where we will know who lives around us. And I think this will go into blocks of flats and into a lot, a lot of different places. Mm. Did, did I do well, Van? You did. I think, you know, I think he did. Yeah, no, he's not, he's not saying anything, so I don't know. Yes, put on. Ah, get a job. <laughs> <laughs> One question, has anyone heard of any models where it's not rental, but it's owning the property? So if people are staying for two years, people are buying in and owning their room and, you know, that you're... Yeah, we have a little bit of that in the UK. There are a few um, communities where they've, some of them are self-built, you know, so they have a plot of land and they, and they all come together and buy, build five, six, seven, eight, nine houses, perhaps some common building at the middle, but they tend to be whole units. So rather than, it's more like, it's more like a mini village than, a, than, a, than, a, than, a, than what we're talking about in terms of sharing. Um, but they really struggle to get the traction and finding the money is really hard because it's unconventional. And often a lot of the people who do those things in the nicest possible way are sort of slightly unconventional themselves, which makes life a little bit more difficult because banks and people who wear suits and have ties and, and hand out money um, are uncomfortable. You, know, you get all of those things happening. But then, but then um, there are some European countries where in fact, um, actually it's, it's a, it's a normal way to operate, you know, and there, there are, there are, lots and lots and lots of examples of these um co-owned um we won't call them co-living quite because i don't call them that but but that that, that, uh, that exists so who knows it, it may, may well be a way for the future 
for yeah. some people who still want to end up with an ownership in it. I've not figured it out yet, and we have, we are not planning to do that. But who knows? So Rosa, there is someone I'm connected with that is doing something similar in Italy. His name is River. Normally he is on my call, but I think tonight probably he he wasn't. Um, he's doing something similar in Italy. There's also a couple of podcasts that I listened to recently about what we call fractionate ownership or something like that. So especially the guys in the US uh, are really trying to work out a model because there is not really a model yet to understand how, how to engage that. So what Luke said about co-living slash co-housing, yes, absolutely. But that's more like for the vision of people living there maybe for a quite a long time. What you're talking is more transitional. So like I'm going to live in here two or three years. I don't want to just pay the rent. Maybe I'll just buy or, or find a way of buying something so that when I move out, I can either move on, I can sell my share or I can do something like that. So I think it's something that is really open. And uh, there's many operators that I, I talk to around the world especially in the United States, I'm really, really looking into that as a first step into a property ladder. And it's just there isn't really a way that works that someone has done yet. Maybe you could be the pioneer on that. A woman. Maybe. A woman. <laughs> I'm investigating. I support you at 200%. Thank you. But nice. I mean, uh, I don't know if we are uh, linked already or not, but please do so. And I call you to River and you can have a chat with him because he's Thank doing Thank you so that. much. Yeah. Awesome. Good. Thank you. Of course. Uh, just one question I was going to ask in terms of um, in terms of the difficulties of say going for for a, a, an initial space. Obviously, it might get easier after the the first one. What are the what are the kind of main barriers if apart from say um, you know finding the place and the deal itself and the counselors? Um, what are the other kind of main sort of barriers? Uh, well, if you if you it's, if you don't have the experience, it's actually sometimes difficult to raise the money that you need to get the job. You know, you, you've always got that. But I think regardless of any business that you're in, if you if you've not been doing it for very long, then you know you're going to have a lot of folk who not, not perhaps not take you seriously enough. Um, when I um, uh, when I well, my very first building, I didn't I, in the end I got it financed, but it took me a little bit more effort than I thought it was going to. I put a lot of my own money in in the first instance when I was going to get refinanced. Most of the people that would do the refinance said, oh, you've got to have two years experience. So well, how, how do I get two years experience? You know, by doing it, and so it's like silly questions like that. So the money and the lenders um, were quite narrow. There are a few who will, who will lend to you if, uh, without the experience. Now we've got lots of experience. I don't have any problem at all. So that's an initial hurdle. Um, uh, our, most of our mistakes came with our first properties because we did not know how much it was truly going to cost us to convert them. And we made guesses and those guesses were horribly wrong. I still remember this day when, uh, when um, Ian, um, it was on Sunday, he said, um, Luke, my, my wife, uh, I, need to, I need to have a chat. I said, okay, what's the problem? He said, uh, you were over budget. I said, okay, this is £190,000 project he said i said how much over budget Sixty thousand. that was painful because we had raised 180 so i had to scrabble to go and raise another sixty thousand on top of what was already a big spend anyway the building cost is quarter of a million the project was that so you you 
my experience so far is we made just all these mistakes about uh, and assumptions about how things were going to cost. So that's, that's, I think, uh, an issue of inexperience as well, isn't it? Uh, and of course, you get your numbers wrong and you haven't got the experience. It's much harder to get yourself financed out of the deal when you, when you come to the other. So, so <laughs> that, that's what I would say is uh, it's not so much the planning other than that takes an awful long time. It's make sure you really are on top of the numbers and the money because that can, that can crucify you before you've even started. Not careful. So does that answer your question, Alex? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty good. Thank you. All right. Are you all? I'm amazed you haven't all gone to sleep yet. Look, Ro look. Rose is Rose is giving it a really good go. I can see. So, she look, look, look. <laughs> I have this, Turn the light on, Rose. She's been this, in a darkened room. That's what it is. Yeah, I was like, I have this screen as this at the bed because it keeps there you go. really bright and lit. But uh, yeah, exactly. I agree with what Van just said. There's so much like you have so much knowledge that I think I could do like an eight-hour day with you and and just carry on picking your brain and listening to everything you've done because. You come from such a different, like you can see that you've got the business inside yourself, but you have the passion and just the fact that you combine it with art for me, I think it's one of the most powerful combination I've ever experienced from, you know, from someone who's done it on his own as you are a single entrepreneur, you know, you're not like a big company of no, five no. different people. I, I would warn you that eight hours with me is not conducive to good mental health. Oh, I, I disagree. I disagree. No, you, you'd go mad at the after eight no. hours, wouldn't you? No, 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 no. <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, listen, I, I don't know whether uh, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I really appreciate the questions. Oh, genuinely, um, it's, you've all been very engaging. So thank you very much, especially for those of you who are, are still here at the death. Um, I'm very hungry and I need a, I need a drink now. Is that, am I allowed to maybe go off and have something to eat and, no. and have a drink? Is that no. all right? Can, you, uh, can I be excused? Uh, we said eight hours is only three hours. So no, you've got to stay. <laughs> well, what you might need to do then, Ken, what we're going to do is, is you may need to join one of my mentoring groups. I might just have to do that, don't I? No, you might have to create I, one of my small groups. Yeah, I mean, I did say to you last time when we chatted about it, and I think what you give is like so much value. You are, you're also so human and definitely not that sort of guru selling person that I think, you know, the majority of people who are on the call right now know. But, you know, thank you so much. I mean, three oh, hours, wow. Thank you so, so, so much. Oh, uh, no pleasure. No, really. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for the invitation. And I'd happy to come back again. And yeah. if anyone wants to connect with me, I think you saw my presentation. My, I'm easy to find. My name's a weird name, so easy to find. And we're all over social media as well. So you, so you yes. can find here, you can find Luke, you can find Luke Spikes pretty easy. Thank you so much again, everybody, for staying oh such a long time and you know i wish you all uh, the best in everything and please carry on supporting colleague and the colleague involvement okay, good job okay guys thank you very much thank you see so you bye-bye